Hello, welcome. You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a bite-sized parenting podcast, a place you can find advice, understanding and support as you care for your small humans. I'm Siobhan Hunt. My best friend's son is 10 and he's also on the autism spectrum. He's funny, smart. He has his own YouTube channel. He also hasn't slept properly since late July. Before lockdown, sleep was a challenge. Since lockdown, it has become something that is affecting his whole family. Professor Amanda Richdale is a research fellow at the Olga Tennyson Autism Research Centre. She's been working in autism for over 30 years and has a special interest in sleep. Hi, Amanda. How are you? Hi, Siobhan. Not too bad. Looking at some very nice sunshine today for a change. Oh, lovely. Um, Can you tell me, how common is it for children on the spectrum to have problems with sleep? This is a very um, common co-occurring condition in autistic children, and some studies report up to 80% of autistic children are likely to have a sleep problem at some point. And for some children, these sleep problems are chronic. That is, they continue for many years. We know also now that sleep difficulties in autistic individuals are common across the lifespan. Autism spectrum is complex and varied. Does that mean that understanding why sleep is a problem for children on the spectrum is also complex and varied? I think so. There are many potential um, reasons why an autistic child may have sleep problems. It may be that more than one reason is present in any individual child. So there may be some biological issues associated with what we call clock genes and biological rhythms with the uh, neurohormone melatonin, which signals, helps synchronise the light-dark cycle and starts to rise when we're uh, sleepy at night. So there might be some differences there. It may be related to um, high levels of anxiety that we see in autistic children, so they're highly um, aroused at bedtime. With older children too, they may be starting to develop some mood disorders or become a bit depressed with older children and adolescents so that might contribute it may be environmental so it might be too light too dark too hot too cold Uh, it might be related to routines and rituals so I've had parents tell me that they don't have a sleep problem so long as the particular bedtime routine is followed every night but if it's not followed the child has trouble getting to sleep it may be with children who have an intellectual disability they really don't understand the cues about bedtime approaching so they're not picking up on those cues and so you might imagine that it might be only one reason for some children but it might be a a complex mix of these reasons for other children. We are told so often how important sleep is for our overall well-being and physical health. Um, What kind of impact does it have on children and their families if they are already struggling during their waking hours and then they can't sleep? Well, it's very stressful for the family and for the child because the parents then also become sleep deprived and often it can affect siblings too, which means that the impacts of poor sleep are not just affecting the autistic child, they're also affecting other family members. And so we know in children, not just autistic children, but in children with general in general, that if there's significant sleep problems, the child's behaviour and emotion regulation is likely to be affected. Their attention, their attention's poorer, so that can affect their learning. So there's a there's a range of ongoing consequences from 
having sleep pro- significant sleep problems. We can all deal without a, a, a with a night's sleep, poor sleep, but if we've continually got poor sleep, we're all affected by it. And autistic children are like everybody else in that respect. But of course, they're also dealing, and their families are also dealing with a whole lot of issues that the rest of us aren't dealing with, which compound. As I mentioned before, the spectrum is complex and obviously working out why kids on the spectrum aren't sleeping is obviously related to their individual experience. But are there any steps, initial steps that parents can take to try and help their child sleep if they're having this problem? I think it's very important to have regular bedtime routines and calming activities prior to bed. So having a regular bedtime and a regular wake time are very important. Calming activities, so things that wind the child down prior to bed. The other really important thing is not to have screens in the bedroom. So the child should not have an iPad. They should not have an iPhone in their bedroom and they shouldn't have a television set in their bedroom. And I know autistic um, children, a number of them really like to play games on computers, on tablets and so on. And as they get older, adolescents too, and they'll do this, this during the night, this is not conducive to good sleep. It's not conducive because it's arousing, but we there is also some evidence that screens close to the face, such as a phone or a tablet, emit blue light, and blue light actually suppresses melatonin levels. And so melatonin is one of those things that helps us get to sleep. And there's some evidence isn't in autistic people though that people have different sensitivities to light so some people can be more affected by this light at night time than than others so that's two reasons not to have screens in your bedroom can I ask with the routine when it comes to what time children should go to bed if they're having trouble sleeping Anyway, is it a help or a hindrance to allow them to go to bed a bit later? Say, for example, if a child's 9 or 10, you might normally let them go to bed at 8 or 8.30. Um, Does it make sense with a child who's finding it really difficult to sleep to let them go to bed at, say, 9 o'clock? Or should we just treat it all the same across the board? No, we shouldn't. We have individual differences in our sleep patterns and um, our optimal time when we're actually sleepy so when we would fall asleep and, and we would wake. So we need to think about that. So in middle childhood, children probably need about, on average, about 10 hours sleep, but there'll be a little variation either side of that. So there's your child's individual sleep needs. So when so you need to think about when does the child get up for school? Um, how many hours sleep does the child um, need? And, we, and whilst autistic children are often reported to sleep less on average than other children, this is no strong evidence to suggest that they need less sleep than other children. Um, that's still an area where we need to do some research. So we need to think how much sleep the child needs. So let's say it's 10 hours and they have to get up at 7 in the morning. That suggests that they need they need to be in bed by about 9 o'clock at night, sleep by about 9 o'clock at night. So if a child's having a lot of trouble going to sleep, lying in bed wide awake probably not a a good idea initially but parents might need some help to move the child's sleep time so what's often recommended and and a psychologist uh, is probably the best person to help with is what's often recommended is you put the child to bed at a time when they're really sleepy and are likely to fall asleep quickly 
And if that's much later, well, that's what you do until the child sort of gets used to the idea that they can fall asleep quickly and relax in bed. And then you gradually over time start putting them to bed a little bit earlier, not a whole lot, but in gradual increments until you hit, hit that sort of optimal uh, sleep onset time. But that's quite tricky for parents, most parents to do on their own, and they'd need help <clears throat> to do that. Mm. What about the sleeping environment? We hear a lot about weighted blankets helping with anxiety generally. Do we know whether weighted blankets or any types of pillows, do we know if any of that is helpful? There's no evidence, and there was one large randomised control trial in the UK, there's no evidence that weighted blankets improve sleep. They may be comforting, but no good evidence they improve sleep. They may help individual children, but that may just be an individual thing. But as a group, no, there's no evidence that that they are helpful. But things in general that might reduce a child's anxiety obviously can be potentially helpful to de-arouse the child and help them fall asleep. So if it's a a comfort object, that can be useful. One problem with comfort objects is if you lose them during the night and you wake up and they're not there, then sometimes that can cause problems getting back to sleep, particularly with younger children. You did mention that people have different sensitivities to light. And I know that um, with kids who don't have sleep issues but aren't necessarily happy being in the dark that sometimes we get night lights do we know if that's something to avoid with children on the spectrum um, any kind of light source the sensitivity to light is is more to do with really bright light into the eyes so the eyes respond to the different wavelengths of bright light and and people have um, different sensitivities in response to that that may affect melatonin production at night So that's the kind of light sensitivity I was talking about. Of course, having a very bright room, most of us, unless we're extremely tired, don't tend to fall asleep in a very um, brightly lit room. But in terms of a a a soft nightlight at a low level, if that's comforting for a child, then that's fine. Do we know if diet has anything to do with sleep for kids on the spectrum? We do know that children... Autistic children who have gastrointestinal problems or gut problems, that is um, significantly associated with sleep problems. We don't know the direction, the cause and effect direction. We might hypothesise that this may be due to the fact that, you know, if you've got gut problems and you're constipated and feel uncomfortable or you've got a gut ache, it's not conducive to going to sleep anyway or can wake you up. But whether there's any other um, associations to do with with the gut yet yeah, that's an area for, for future exploration. When it's more extreme and you're really struggling to get your child to sleep are there medications that are safe that we can use? Um, the only one that has good research is melatonin and it should be prescribed by a doctor at an appropriate dose for the child and with appropriate timing which the doctor would be able to work with the parents. So there are some recent studies that have shown good effectiveness for melatonin in helping children, autistic children, sleep. And 
there've been some studies that have looked at two years out now in terms of the longer term safety. So at least for for two years out on melatonin, there's not any evidence of any long term effects. We don't know what melatonin's doing necessarily for these children because one of the things that people don't seem to realise as well as being a neurohormone associated with onset of sleep and helping helping us get to sleep and helping synchronise day and night for us, synchronise our circadian rhythms, melatonin also has anti-anxiety properties. So it may be in some children that it's not actually, it's actually its anti-anxiety properties that are, are very helpful, but that is a matter for investigation. But there is other literature where um, melatonin, for example, has been used relatively successfully for preoperative anxiety. You mentioned earlier that it's um, it's not advisable to have screens in children's bedrooms. What is a good bedtime ritual for a child with autism? So, um, for example, when should you start the wind down? Uh an hour before bed would be pretty good, but definitely a half an hour before bed. So really probably an hour before bed so that you're, you're getting into calming activities, routine of getting ready for bed, uh, maybe a story if the child likes, maybe some soothing music, those sorts of things, not things that are arousing. Can you use the same approach for a child who's on the spectrum who is verbal versus nonverbal when it comes to sleep? Um, you can use the same approach, but you'll need different ways of communicating with the child. So you might need something perhaps like a social story or you might need a series of pictures that set out the routine so that the child knows the order of things in which they're going to do. So a picture of having a shower or a bath and then cleaning your teeth, putting your pyjamas on, and then you might have a picture of a storybook, for example, so indicating that now we're going to read a story and then picture of maybe mummy leaving the bedroom (laughs) and turning off the light Um, and they can be symbols or they might for some children they might actually have to be photographs of the child doing these things and you know the child's actual bedroom so it would depend on the communication level of the child and it would probably be helpful to get some input and support from the child's early intervention teacher or school teacher because it's more likely that a child will be in special school or if they've not if they're nonverbal, but even if they're in regular school, uh, the teacher or the teacher's aide may be able to help the parents set up a good bedtime routine and be able to communicate that well to the child. Do you have any sense whether lockdown has made sleep worse for children on the spectrum? No, I, I, I really don't. I haven't seen any papers on lockdown and sleep in autism, but I know lockdown has affected other people in general with their sleep. So I would be surprised if many autistic people hadn't been affected as well. Do you have any tips on how to calm or de-escalate a child who is having issues with sleep in the middle of the night? Probably trying to do what would normally calm that child during the day would be my best guess. I've found talking to parents over the years that calming children during the night and night waking can, significant night waking can be some of the most more difficult aspects of sleep to deal with. It's Parents often have a lot more success getting the child to go to sleep. So I think thinking about how you would normally calm the child during the day, what what might calm the child 
would be the kind of approach I'd take and it would have to it would be very individual and I think if parents are having trouble with that again they might actually need to consult a specialist about that. Um, With that Amanda are there sleep specialists out there that deal with children autistic children because I know uh, anecdotally from friends who have children struggling with sleep they're finding it really hard to get support or even understanding about how challenging it can be. There are sleep paediatricians who also trained in, in behavioural support and so getting a referral to a paediatrician who works with children and with sleep problems. There are also psychologists. Psychologists who are used to working with autistic children should understand more about how to deal with autistic children's sleep. You really need a person who works with autistic children, an allied health professional who works with autistic children, or a paediatrician who is um, also works with autistic children in their practice. I certainly know that there are sleep paediatricians around who do work successfully with autistic children. So when you, uh, we were having a chat before we started the interview, you mentioned that when you first started looking into sleep and autism, there wasn't a lot of interest. Have you seen that change over the years that you've been looking into it? It has changed hugely. (laughs) Mammothly. When I first started, I could have recited every research paper and what was in it that was on sleep and autistic children. (laughs) Now I'd be hard put to tell you (laughs) what they all were and I'm saying, oh, I haven't seen that one before. So there is a lot, but unfortunately there is not a lot on intervention. It's all on trying to understand why they have sleep problems, describe the types of sleep problems, look at the frequency of sleep problems, Uh, look at behavioural and biological, potential behavioural and biological underpinnings of the sleep problems. What we're really crying out for is good intervention research. And it's actually not easy to do and doesn't necessarily seem to be that easy to get funded. But there has been, there is some happening. There's some been happening here in Melbourne where I am at um, one of the other universities. There's There's some happening in the United States. So people are starting to do it. There's some work happening in New Zealand, but that research is really only just really starting to pick up. So um, I'm not sure if you can answer this question, Amanda, but if you are a parent who is struggling in lockdown with children who are not sleeping, um, do you have any thoughts on what they can do to try and get support now? (laughs) Support can be very difficult because psychologists are very stretched at the moment. But I think what potentially what they can do, um, some of the things they can do to help perhaps help their child to be uh, more sleepy, and and this can be difficult because parents are working as well, is to have the child outside, particularly in the morning, getting bright light in the morning is important, exercise and activity, having regular meal times so keeping routines in the house as regular and normal as possible for the child so all those kinds of things uh, sleeping waking biological rhythm and things that help us synchronize that biological rhythm are, are, are really important amanda thank you so much for your time today thank you 
That's Professor Amanda Richdale. She's a research fellow at the Olga Tennyson Autism Research Centre. She's been working in autism for over 30 years and has a special interest in sleep. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you, so if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.